some of these countries need literally one person to sort of just scream and shout and say guys uh, it is time This podcast is all about figuring out how to start companies. However, being successful with that has a lot to do with the ecosystem and the regulations you find in the space around you. We all know the potential of fintech in Africa. But we also know how challenging and sometimes restricting the conditions for new solutions in Africa can be in reality. And that's because financial services is is something that most governments want to control and they there's an assumption that um, blocking people out is the way to go. Our guest on today's show isn't just starting a company. He's at the same time trying to evolve the ecosystem of fintech in Kenya and the whole of Africa. I'm introducing Kevin Mutiso, co-founder of the Kenyan fintech startup Alternative Circle. My name is Antonia Lorenz, and this is the Foundality Africa podcast. Kevin founded Alternative Circle with two other co-founders in 2016. The startup runs a digital lending app called Shika. On Shika, individuals can borrow small amounts of money for up to a month. I visited Kevin once already, back in April of last year. Back then, the Shika app had around 21,000 active users, and I was very curious on how the company progressed since then. Last year, we were testing our algorithms and trying to get them to profitability. So in between, our, our algorithms got profitable in June. So June to December, what we call them vintages because they're 30-day debt cycles. Um, those vintages are profitable. We are at the point of scale-up. So this year, uh, if all goes well, we can acquire a million customers by the end of 2020. The other thing is uh, we are at the early stages of getting a bank partner. Hopefully by June, we will be able to announce which bank. It'll be quite an exciting thing because I think we'll be one of the first partner bank, particularly in Africa. And also another initiative showed progress. Kevin is one of the founding members of the Kenyan Digital Lenders Association. So in April, I think we, I don't remember whether it was just, we met just before or after, but we got the license or the certificate of incorporation for the Digital Lenders Association, right? And we've made quite a bit of progress since April. Um, we have a working board now. We are in the process of setting up an official secretariat. Mm -hmm. um, we have several paid-up members, and some of them are very large players in the market. More about what purpose the association has for Kevin later in the interview. But first of all, I wanted to know again where Kevin came from and what his earlier days looked like. And it seemed like his passion for business was developed early. My story is rather interesting in that uh, I genuinely have loved business since I was a little boy. Um, so I was very fortunate that my dad is a lawyer and he loves to read. 
and he noticed that my interest in business uh, from a very young age so he's actually really supported me since I was about 16 years old he got me a subscription to the Fortune magazine and the Harvard Business Review in fact uh, I think I was still on my dad's subscription until just like 5 6 years ago <laughs> <laughs> but there was another gift from his dad which let Kevin have his very own first business transactions and which also taught him some tough lessons after all. For my 16th birthday present as well, he got me a trading account on the stock exchange and um, put some little capital in there for me to try my luck. Um, I had been pestering him to buy some shares um, and uh, the first batch of shares that I sort of proposed that he buy went up really quickly and he sort of thought okay the kid can start sort of trying his hand at the time it's okay <laughs> Kevin was able to get his hands on a first few trades and he had some success but it's the one on the high horse who falls deep um I made quite a bit of money actually um um, by the time I was finishing high school, it sponsored a lot of my partying. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I made the quintessential mistake of thinking that I had made it, and uh, I sort of sold my stock and uh, invested in other things and partied the other stuff. Mm. What I learned is um, I sold too early because everything I sold literally quadrupled mm. in the next year or so, and it was very little, like but still. So I learned a very tough lesson. One, that uh, uh, the party stops when the money stops, right? And then the second lesson was um, have a more longer-term approach to some of these things. Um, it's about the income, not the asset. So that was a very fundamental lesson. After he finished high school, he didn't just go to parties but he also made use of a national opportunity and gained some great work experience. In Kenya, when you finish high school uh, in our system, you sort of have a two-year waiting period before you join university. So my mom insisted that I should figure out how to, to get a job. And there was an opportunity at the time when Kenya was having the largest IPO ever. And Kenjin, uh, which was the IPO, Kenya Generating Company, generates the power in the country, mm -hmm. literally caught these guys off guard and they needed capacity and they needed, the, the demand was so high, it was the largest ever. So I was uh, literally made a customer care agent that would sit on the street and collect people's uh, KYC documents, know your customer documents. Mm -hmm. Um, but by the end of that time, I had already sort of been identified by one of my clients that I was managing, and it was quite interesting. In Kenya, we have Chamas. So a Chama is basically an investment group, mm -hmm. and this particular Chama was of senior Kenyans, and when I say senior, not government, but in private sector. And then what I did was I invested that money with the... Um, with, in conjunction with an investment committee, which mm -hmm. was a bunch of three gentlemen. And that's where I literally learned a lot of things. And two of them, are one of them today is running one of the largest private equity funds in Africa, and the other one is a chairman of a tier one bank. Mm -hmm. And the other one runs one of the largest private schools in the country. So I, w I was exposed to their network, their teachings. Mm -hmm. they, they sort of took me on to all these different things. Here's what the three guys taught him. I learned how to negotiate. 
Um, I learned how to identify opportunities. Opportunity uh, identification is a lot of is, is a lot about pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. So teaching me basic parts of the pattern, what to look out for, what to not look out for. Um, we also made several mistakes, and they also taught me how to not beat yourself up too much. Mistakes happen. It's actually what you learn from that mistake. So one of those guys, Alan, used to tell me, and I'm sure he doesn't remember this, but he used to tell me, you don't win or lose, you win or learn. right? So mm -hmm. those were very key insights that at such a young age, I was 21, 22, um, and because I was also so young, they sent me all over the place. Like, mm -hmm. I would go to look at opportunities in the, some of the farthest parts of uh, Kenya. I'd go look at opportunities in the weirdest spots in Nairobi. Um, I once went to a brewing company, one of the smaller ones, and with the CEO, and, you know, he gave me his entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. And so I was exposed to all these different value chains mm -hmm. at a very young age. Uh, and because I'm obsessed with business, it was so exciting. Yeah. As you can imagine. But just when Kevin was having the most insightful and exciting time, another also exciting but unexpected and life-changing event happened. Um, and then um, when I was about 21 and something, something happened, my girlfriend got pregnant and the fun sort of ended in a sense because I was enjoying my job so much I didn't really care how much I got paid per se. Um, I cared, but it wasn't it wasn't why I was doing what I was doing. I was learning. Mm -hmm. um, but I was also in school at the same time. I was in university. I was doing night school. And when the baby, my daughter now, was on the way, it dawned on me that I have to make some very, very tough decisions now. And as a result, I have to be the one sort of making the financial end decisions around my daughter. Mm -hmm. and have to sort of now be a father, right? Um, so I decided to drop out of school. Um, it wasn't easy, as you can imagine. My dad and mom were not amused at all. Um, and for context, I love giving context. Most African families, the only reason they work so hard mm -hmm. is so that they take their kids to university. <laughs> But why did you drop out? What were the actual reasons well several one we needed money two we needed to focus right i had realized that to be good at something i had it i had to focus mm -hmm. i had a saying the other day literally on saturday um that captures what i what i was thinking we normally underestimate what we can do in 10 years but overestimate what we can do in one Yeah. Right. And so I figured that if I start focusing on what I can do in 10 years and work backwards, um, I can get there. And I, I set myself my goal to be the greatest entrepreneur of my generation. Um, my, my real heroes are guys like Warren Buffett and JP mm -hmm. Morgan who had similar yeah. ambitions. Kevin obviously started out with big ambitions. And he knew he was fond of investing and business. So how did he start his entrepreneurship journey then? By the time my daughter was two, I'd already started my first real business. It was a company called Samchi Credit. It was a microfinance, purely manual. We were lending to the SME space and we're using assets as security. So the logbook of a car was the asset. That was, again, a fantastic experience because... 
um, it exposed me to more value chains, right? So I, again, I had the time of my life. And what happens is once you get a name as somebody who in sort of gives capital um, to people, even when it's lending, many people walk through your door. I would go then to see their businesses or do site okay. visits. And it was, I mean, it was fantastic. I saw, you know, we have border borders in Africa. Um, and one of the businesses we lent money to in 2014, I think, was one of the first border border financing companies in the market today. Mm -hmm. And we gave them a million shillings, which is about $10,000. Today, that same company has a book of $4 million. And again, Kevin had a lot of learnings from starting this business. Here are the most important ones from that journey and the story of how this business failed in the end. So it wasn't me alone. Um, so I first, um, all the businesses I've ever done, one of the key lessons I learned is don't do it alone because the trick is be the dumbest guy in the room. So try to get as many clever people who sort of see your vision or find somebody who has a clever vision and join theirs as a partner, right? And so mm -hmm. my first real business, because I've had many businesses, was with a gentleman by the name uh, Sam Mushemi, one of my closest friends to date. Um, his, uh, his family had just started a credit business and I had wanted to go into the credit business and since these guys had already started this would have been a, was a fantastic opportunity um, and then as, as, as happens in most lending businesses once you have a massive shock um, that tends to take away your ability to perform um, and we had the challenge with one of the title deeds we had given as collateral to the bank because um, in Kenya you have these things called uh, the, the title deeds that have duplicates so some, some somebody can claim that that land is also yours and so the bank that we were working with pulled out pulled back on our credit line and we had to scale down the business um, very tough lessons as you can imagine it was very painful this was back in 20 late 2015 after Kevin made all of those experiences, working for others, joining teams, he got excited about taking lending digital and to do it himself. I thought to myself, I mean, if, if I can do it on my own, um, why not? Perhaps this is the time. I've, I've sort of gone through the whole uh, schooling of mm. sorts and I started or found co-founded Alternative Circle mm. with three people a guy called Anthony Magayu and a guy called Gashau Kuna and Gashau Kuna funded us and how uh, did you meet those people? Uh, Gashau was my so Gashau's dad and my dad are next door neighbors mm. and um, one of the investments I made for this investment holding group was in a company which Gashau's dad was a shareholder of. And uh, I used to attend meetings, mm. um, the annual general meeting and special shareholder meetings. And one day his dad sat next to me because he could see this young 20-something-year-old boy. And he just asked me a couple of questions and it turned out we were neighbors and he said, you should meet my son. And then his son became the CEO of Transcentury. Mm. As I said, you know, try to keep the smart, yeah. smart people around you. Um, <laughs> okay. yeah. I was wondering how much his family and background helped him achieve what he did. Do you think your family or how you, where you grew up helped you a lot? 
course, I think it helped me. I grew up. I'm, I'm a very fortunate guy in the sense that I grew up with, with, with. I was raised by children of the post-colonial era. So my dad, my mom, my uncles and aunties. So they were not really damaged by the trauma of colonialism because they were born right at independence and after. Um, and so they believed they could achieve whatever they could. And so I had real life examples of people yeah. who could achieve whatever they set their mind to. Mm. And as a result, I believed that whatever I set my mind to, I could do. Um, and as I said earlier, my dad would, you know, you know, you know, it's very fortunate yeah. to get... What, what advice would you give people who don't have that? Um, create a culture of curiosity in yourself. Like, if you have an internet connection, go to YouTube and just start learning. Full stop. Now to fintech itself. As you will hear, fintech isn't such a young and shiny thing. It's been used by traditional banks for a long time. But it's the new business models that make it so exciting. Fintech is, is, is I like to explain it as financial technology, and it's providing either a financial service on a digital platform to a business or to an individual. Um, and so we call them B2B fintechs and B2C fintechs. I think the B2B fintech space is mostly around the banks at the moment. So fintech is not particularly new, you know, in the true sense of the word. It's been there since the technology of computers evolved, but it was mostly being sold to banks. And so you had core banking platforms, you had uh, branchless banking solutions, um, like in Kenya, branchless banking came in the 90s. Um, so fintech has been there for a while. So depending on the market you're in, um, you're starting from that base where it's all bank-led uh, technology solutions. Traditional banks have come a long way with using technology. But by adding new business solutions that target the consumer directly, such as mobile money, a huge value can be created. However, the politics of a country play a huge role for the success of these solutions. Kevin explains that on a very popular example, M-Pesa. We are very fortunate in Kenya that we have progressive ideology. Hmm. Uh, because of that, we have a very progressive regulatory framework. And so approaching the central bank, for example, is not this fearful thing. They're, yeah. they're friendly people. All you have to do is just be honest, or rather be professional and, and don't waste their time. Um, and so M-Pesa was able to be born out of that. Uh, M-Pesa is actually a Vodafone, Vodacom baby. Mm -hmm. um, and when we were looking at which markets to start it off at, was Kenya was chosen because of that openness of the regulatory framework. Mm -hmm. um, there are some markets that don't have that openness, and I think we, we have more of those than those without. And that's because yeah. financial services is, is something that most governments want to control and they, mm -hmm. there's an assumption that um, blocking people out is the way to go. M-Pesa is an African success story. Mobile money also exists in other countries, but it doesn't have the impact that it could have. 
Kevin explains what that means for Africa and his business. Mobile money has not spread across the continent evenly. And as a result, you have pockets of places that are being left behind completely with this financial inclusion story. So you have real full countries that have large populations and populations that would greatly benefit from these types of solutions, but not there. The other thing is you have some markets are so small but are so fragmented in their mobile money ecosystem that interoperability is a problem. So you have, you have to partner with one, and then that means you only get 20% of yeah. the market. And you, can't, you sort of can't crisscross. Um, but now, with smartphone penetration growing at the rate it is, internet um, infrastructure is now, you know, the cables are all over the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting better. It's getting easier to sell the story. Mm. Yeah. So I was wondering, what can entrepreneurs do if it's so much about regulations and politics? How can you build a new solution that has a ton of impact when regulations are not in your favor? It is possible, Kevin says. Here's how and a great example. Depending on where your ecosystem has reached, right? Um, the objective is literally take your ecosystem to as far as you can take it and then hand over to the next mm. sort of person. In Kenya, you know, we've had this evolution of financial services happen in real time. When I started out working, Equity Bank was a tier three bank. I don't know if you know Equity Bank Limited. Run by a guy called James Mwangi, Dr. James Mwangi. And 2020, Dr. James Mwangi and his vision and Equity Bank are the second largest bank. So moving from tier three 10 years ago, to tier one, what basically happened is that he just came with a different retail model um, and acquired nearly 17 million customers in those 10 years, 10, 13 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that can happen across the continent in 10 years. And how did he do that? By having a product that was cost efficient and was sustainable and was highly impactful to the user. Mm-hmm. And so Equity Bank, even today, as entrepreneurs, you know they're the bank to call if you need a quick $2,000, $5,000, right? Um, some of these other banks just take five weeks, others take three months. Yeah. Equity Bank is the bank of choice for most entrepreneurs in, in Kenya. That brings us to our next topic. How do I effectively evolve my ecosystem? Next up, listen and learn. In this part of the show, we ask the founders about practical advice in a topic they are most profound in. This time, initiating change. Kevin makes a lot of effort in bringing the fintech ecosystem to the next level. His tools are co-founding the Digital Lenders Association and also such simple tools as sharing his thoughts daily on LinkedIn. 
Um, I think our Kenyan ecosystem has gotten to where it is because of collaborative efforts mm -hmm. between government entities and private sector. And M-Pesa is one of those brilliant, obvious, easy to see collaborative efforts that have been super successful. And so it is very obvious to me that collaboration in financial services and digital financial services is the best way to go. And the reason it's the best way to go is because it de-risks the whole industry for everyone. So basically what I'm doing is first I've told my vision. I'm sort of telling people this is the vision I have. Um, and it's centered around collaboration and entrepreneurship. Um, if you're on board with the vision, look for me and let's see how we can partner to get this vision going. Kevin makes it clear that initiating collaboration is the way to go when initiating change. And to collaborate, people first have to know what you stand for and that you're open for collaboration. But how do you then find and choose the right collaborations? So usually by looking at the problem set, right? So what's the problem? So. In digital lending, for example, it, was, it became rather obvious at some point in our life journey as alternative circle that they, we need an endless supply of capital. So either we become a bank or we partner with a bank. In this market, becoming a bank and a digital one at that has no precedence, and so that's just the tougher route. And perhaps partnering with a bank would be easier. And so approaching the bank and saying, we are solving X problems for you, and you're solving X Y problems for us, and this is the amount of value we can create between the two of us. Um, and usually people see logic like that. Um, and, and then not being entitled and demanding, I think taking a more sober approach to um, expectations as well. Um, I think banks tend to get a very bad rap, yet we forget they're highly regulated entities, and so they simply cannot just jump into every new thing. It sometimes seems like in Africa, there is an aversion of collaboration because of a lack of trust. But how do you even start collaborations when nobody around you wants to collaborate? That's a, that's a very good question, but it's a difficult one to answer, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of these things are historical. A lot of these things are um, cultural. So I can't speak for all markets, but what I do know for a fact is that psychology dictates that when you're in a scarce environment, the zero-sum game is the most... Uh, applicable game for survival and so it is not surprising that the smaller the economy of a country the less collaboration there is and so some of these countries need literally one person to sort of just scream and shout and say guys uh, it is time How do I become this person in my industry, in my country? You have to believe that what you're saying is going to change um, your ecosystem uh, for the better. And so if you believe 
you're going to make an impact, do it. Two, don't do it for the money. Do it because it is necessary for our own survival. But how do you effectively scream and shout? What are some practical tools for presenting your vision? Kevin has some good advice. Um, somebody once told me that entrepreneurship is understanding what you're really good at and using that skill to, to sell yourself and differentiate yourself from the next guy. And I have a passion for writing. So LinkedIn and Medium were the two places that I could use my writing passion to start selling my vision mm -hmm. to the general masses. And, and I always tell some of my mentees, go to my older posts. You, you can actually see how, uh, I don't know if the word is amateur and naive and um, <laughs> even stupid. <laughs> um, I was and you know you start getting feedback right and then so take the feedback positively some will be horrible like very bad reviews mm -hmm. and like most bad reviews are from people who basically want you to be better right so don't take it personally no one started being the best I'm nowhere near where I want to be Right, um, and the journey is continuing. So, the first thing is use the skill that you have that allows you to differentiate yourself. The other thing is, uh, this is important. Get that thick skin. Understand the criticism. Don't take it personally. And third, enjoy the process and don't stop trying. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm always interested in my guests' visions for Africa as a whole. And you'll hear, Kevin has so far the most ambitious ones for the continent. I think Africa will be the most advanced place on the, in the world. Um, simply because a lot of things are happening for the first time. The availability of capital. It's never been... We have a savings glut in the world, right? I don't recall a time in history that has happened. Uh -huh. um, that's number one. Number two, we have an educated African that is in the diaspora and in Africa itself who are learning very uh, unique skill sets that they can then come and develop the home with, with understanding of local nuance, right? So that's the second fundamental thing that is also happening for the first time. And I'll give you context. In the 1900, no one considered themselves an African, right? We are the first generation that considers a Ghanaian a brother more than any other generation ever, right? And that's a very powerful thing, right? So that's the second thing that's happening. So the education plus the identity of being an African. I think the third thing that's also happening that's never happened before is the proliferation of technology and penetration of technology um, to the grassroots. My grandmother uses M-Pesa. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, I'm able to send her money in real time in the remote part of the village. 
that is a powerful thing because what that is doing is moving value, economic value yeah. in real time. Now imagine once we're able to start selling, right? Selling value, not just moving value that you have created, but selling and creating value on these digital platforms. It'll have a catalytic effect. And it's not just fintech going through this transformation. It's, it's several sectors. You've got health tech, mm -hmm. transport, uh, government is being redesigned. Um, so you have all these things that are happening right now. And so we don't have to build a transport system like London did in the early 1900s or late 1800s. Mm -hmm. We can build one with the 21st century in mind. Um, and what that does is that you'll attract the smartest people from all over the world anyway. So we'll have a combination of Africans who know what needs to be done, but also very talented global workforce, like Antonia, who's sitting next to me in Nairobi. So yeah. those four things are happening, and we're happening, and people can see it. Unless you're yeah. not opening your eyes, it's really literally happening right in front of you. So... Africa is going to be the most modern place on earth. That's it for this episode of the Fondality Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, subscribe and don't miss out when we upload new ones. Please also share and leave a review if you want others to know about Fondality. If you want to know more about us, Or if you want to leave us a message, visit foundality.com. Also, if you know an outstanding African entrepreneur who you think could be a great guest, please let us know. We do post small snippets, learnings and inspirations from the podcast on social media. You can find us under the name Foundality. Episodes will be uploaded weekly. See you then. Ten years ago, I would never be able to watch a Warren Buffett uh, shareholder meeting. These days, like oh, the day, <laughs> the day it's happening, I am part of it. And in fact, my whole family knows. Mm -hmm. There are seven hours. Do not disturb me. And I take the day off. It's not a joke. You're laughing. <laughs>